What's going on everyone? Chris Harris here. Welcome back to the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast. Today's episode will be our first installment of what will be several topic shows that we'll be doing in the future. Today's show in particular, Ken and I will be discussing and most likely arguing about our top three favorite wrestlers of all time. What we're going to do is we'll present each of our wrestlers, discuss some of their accomplishments, and explain why we have them on our top three list. So with all that said, like I said, I'm Chris Harris, and with me every time is Ken Oak. What's going on, Ken? Hey, uh, not too much, Chris. It's uh, once again great being able to talk pro wrestling with you. Uh, yeah, like you said, we're talking specific topics, specifically our top our top three favorite wrestlers, and uh, I'm really excited about this one. I know we have three really strong candidates to make for, for top top guys and and of course this is all just personal opinion and you know our you know emotional you know attachments to these guys that that's what makes them our top three we're not we're not trying to say that these are the three best of all time we're just saying this is personally our three favorite wrestlers yeah this is the most biased show we'll probably do is about our favorite wrestlers so i think it's good we're getting it out of the way early and doing it as our first topic show because this is nothing but biased talk of why we like these guys and kind of what they what they gave to us as performers and why they're our top three we're going to talk about it all yeah and uh people are gonna hate some of the things we say and then we're gonna make some fans that love what we say so uh why don't we just go ahead and uh, jump straight into it yeah i assume you're leading off with somebody pretty strong so go ahead yeah i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna start with uh, the american dragon brian danielson or as most people know daniel brian goat face uh goat you could call him the flying goat isn't he doesn't he fly uh let's see some of his nicknames are the american dragon the beard uh goat goat face the king of beards (laughs) he's he's He's, these are all jbl nicknames yeah the world's (laughs) toughest vegan i'm pretty sure jbl gave him (laughs) yeah but yeah, he he makes my top three list, and uh, this one has the. Uh, he's he was just one of those guys that, you know, you you watch them, you watch the work, the hard work that he put in the ring, and you just couldn't help but root for this guy because you could always tell that he is giving his, his all. He's always giving 110 percent, no matter what, no matter the the situation, where he is on the card. Uh, whether he's going for a lower title or he's not even going for a title at all, he always just gave it his best at all times. And it's so easy to get behind someone like that. And another thing that makes him great is that he, he wasn't your prototypical, you know, pro wrestler. He didn't have that look, you know, he, he, he became amazing at what he did. He picked, you know, he decided I'm going to be a pro wrestler and I'm going to become the very best at it. And in my opinion, he, for, for a period of time, he did. He he was the best pro wrestler in the world. For there was a few year span where I could say that, and it's not just me that says that. You look at, you know, Pro Wrestling Insider, uh, Wrestling Observer, those kind of uh, publications. They've given him. Uh, let's go with the Wrestling Observer. They they named him the most outstanding wrestler of the decade. Uh, he won the most outstanding wrestler from 2006 through 2010 every year. Uh, he's been in multiple match of the year uh, matches. Pro Wrestling Insider in 2014 had him in their uh, top in their PWI 500. They had him ranked number one. 2013, he was the wrestler of the year. Two, he was also the most popular wrestler of the year that year. There's just so much that goes into this guy that just makes you want to root for him. And I just I loved every second of Dan Bryan and. When, when he gave his retirement speech, I have to say a, a part of my wrestling soul died that night. Yeah, the speech was super emotional, just like Edge's was and even Ric Flair's was, but you saw Flair's coming, so Daniel Bryan's was a bit of a slap to the face because you never wanted his injuries to be that lingering and to keep him out of the ring because he was still and, is, and would still be good right now if he was in the ring as well. I think it's fair to say also that not a lot of people knew or cared about the American Dragon whatever you want to call him, before he came up to the WWE, partly because he was an indie wrestler, 
and even including myself, I don't. Watch oh, the I, indie I scene know how too you much. feel about indie wrestlers. Yeah, and I know I, how you feel about indie wrestlers. I I hate the indie wrestling fan base more than I do the wrestling. <laughs> I can appreciate the wrestling because that's where you get great technique and you get great matches. Sometimes you get a lot of spot yeah. fests, but you don't you don't, yeah. you don't you don't you don't go in there for storyline. You go in there to see guys performing in the ring, but. The indie uh, fan base has kind of ruined that for me over the past four or five years. So he has, he's easily the best indie guy to ever make it to the top scene where he should have been a long time ago. Yeah, but uh, this is also someone that even when he wasn't in WWE and he was ruling the indie scene, and I'm doing air quotes for you. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you'd appreciate that. that. I need those. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was still considered the very best in the world. Uh, I mean, this, this is a guy that you know he started, he started his you know wrestling journey in the early 2000s, uh, training uh, at Shawn Michaels Texas Wrestling Academy, San Antonio. Uh, yes, you have a strong connection there, Bubs. Yes, yes, quite. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll get to that later. Don't worry. Mm. Yeah, I think you know where I'm going with that. Oh, you just gave it away, but go on. Uh, no. <laughs> the secret's out. Anyway. Uh, maybe we're. <laughs> K I was about is to dead. say something. It's just K Fabe. Yeah. Dead. Anyway, we we we've killed K Fabe right here. Anyway, uh, yeah, I started at you know Texas Wrestling Academy with uh, Shawn Michaels. He learned from he he learned from two of the best in ring technicians in Shawn Michaels and William Regal, who he right. credits William Regal being one of his you know main influences, okay. and really from day one. Starting off, this guy was phenomenal in the ring. Like from start to finish, it's hard to find someone who put in a body of work quite like Daniel Bryan. And I'm talking about you. You could take his work on the indie scene and you know appreciate it for what it was, which was some of the best work you'll ever see in professional wrestling. And like I said, I didn't care a lot about him when he was in the indie circuit. Yeah, I knew who he was because I, I can appreciate great technicians. And he really is one of the greats because it really is amazing, though, that whether it be by choice or not, that he stayed out of mainstream, if you will, for the longest time. I, I think it was more by, I think, WWE's choosing because there was a, he had a few stints before he came on in 2010 as part of uh, NXT. Right. Uh, the original NXT was when it was a weekly show, where it had you know young talents come in and and do these stupid, uh, you know they played games and did these stupid. Yeah, they didn't. I work. don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it it was terrible. And the Miz was his pro. That's right. That was supposed to be. Oh God. Which which led to some great television because there was one scene, and I remember this vividly. Because Bubs, we I was watching it on YouTube when we were in Afghanistan together, mm-hmm. and uh, at one point, the Miz was was asking, "Do you really think that you're a better wrestler than me?" And then it has William Regal and I believe CM Punk next to Miz, and they're just shaking their head. Yes, <laughs> he is much better than you. He is substantially better than you are in the yes. Room. But he he had a couple stints before that. Uh, he was actually in. Um, Memphis Championship Wrestling, which was at the time WWF's developmental back in uh, 2000, 2001, and but he, and he actually says that for the 2001 Royal Rumble match, which we reviewed, mm-hmm. uh, they talked about calling him up. He he wrote this in his autobiography. They 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 said they were close to calling him up to the main roster at that time. Uh, they thought of using him as a key figure in their newly created cruiserweight division, but. Uh, that didn't work out, and he subsequently got released. He did some. Uh, he was used as enhancement talent throughout 2003, uh, and then that's when he went and he went and ruled the indie scene from there, becoming uh, founding father of ROH, which is you know really taking off now. Uh, but there was a couple times during that that stretch from 2003 to 2009 where uh, there was always talks about him going back. To WWE, he he did a few tryout matches. Uh, he didn't make it until finally in 2010, he finally made it back to the WWE. And really, when when he got called up to the main roster, they they kind of put him right away in championship feuds. You know, he he won the U.S. title. He feuded for the IC title a few times. Like they 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 saw 
they saw a lot in him. They, they they definitely wanted him on the main roster, but I don't think at the time they they knew what he would become as a as a main event star. Right. So it's probably a good thing he ended up doing so much work around the indie world to get himself you know much more well rounded because he came up pretty quick and he he worked quick too. He ended up, ended up getting himself the world title rather quickly. Yes. And got himself and, uh, in WrestleMania yeah. rather quickly too. Yeah, he uh, got the world title, I believe, in 2011, 2012. Uh, he, he won it in 2011 and then uh, held it until that god-awful WrestleMania match with Sheamus that ended in 18 seconds. Yeah, or, that, sound, that sounds yeah, pretty 18. biased that you don't like it, but, yeah. I mean, he got pinned <laughs> but pretty you know quick. <laughs> but you know what? That that started the gr- probably the greatest movement ever in WWE, which was the Yes Movement. That terrible piece of booking, what was supposed to be a terrible piece of booking, turned into one of the greatest uh, turnarounds and greatest just character creations of all time. I think they really took advantage of him even a little bit after that. I mean, they had Team Hell No. They were tag champs for a while. I wasn't all about that too much. Dance. Are you? Oh, that that was an amazing tag team. Are you kidding me? I didn't like. They had so some much. of the best segments of the year. Not not to the... say they didn't have bad segments, but I'm saying Kane at the end of his career was nowhere near the exciting points where I wanted him to be ten years prior. So that dragged it down a little bit for me. I mean, Kane was coming off. He 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 won the world title just a few years back, and mm-hmm. you know they. I, he was still doing good, and I thought the, the I thought Team Hell No was probably one of the better tag teams of those years because at that point the tag team division was really hurting, and I think this tag team really helped it out. Uh, and their segment, their anger management segments were some of the best, some comedy gold buffs. I don't know how you didn't get behind those two. I think they looked was- like they were having a hell of a time out there. You kind of hit it on the head because the tag division at that time was atrocious. So they they kind of had to do the angle where they put these two top near top guys at least together to try to work that that division back to something. And even now it's still not something. They've been trying for the longest time to get it back to a the high relevance of what it once was. So that was a bit of a necessary piece that I think they had to do. And it ended up being funny. Yeah, it did some great stuff. But I mean, at that time, I didn't. I could have cared less about any tag team. Yeah, and, and all of this led to probably one of the greatest stories ever told. And, of course, this is, you know, Bias. He is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And this, this story that led from uh, from when John Cena handpicked Daniel Bryan to be his opponent at SummerSlam in 2013. And he won the title that night only to get cashed in by Orton after Triple H turned on him, hit him with a pedigree. Loved and then from there, up, yeah. And then he, he wrestled Orton a few times. And pe- people say that they tried to bury him after that. But honestly, he wrestled for the title a few times. He was in some main storylines. Like, I, I loved what, what happened after, after that SummerSlam match. And I felt it perfectly led up to what took place at WrestleMania 30, which was, in, in my... Uh, if and one day we'll do a topic on favorite pay-per-views. That is by far one of my favorite pay-per-views of all time. One of my favorite WrestleManias of all time, uh, just because the the build-up to it, the uh, uh, yeah, one of my favorite uh, moments in that lead-up to WrestleMania 30 was uh, when he ended up joining the Wyatt family. Uh, he said that he he was done fighting the system. You know, it didn't matter what the fans said anymore, and he finally gave in to Bray Wyatt, uh, which led to that great moment uh, at the end of at the end of the Raw. I believe it was the last Raw of the year too, where the lasting image is him turning on Bray Wyatt and being on top of that cage and leading all, however many tens of thousands of people were in that arena in a yes chant. Right. Like that, some stuff like that gives you chills, and it's hard to not get behind someone who, who has just, who has it. Uh, this, I, I have a great uh, line from, written by David Schumacher of Grantland. He wrote this in uh, 2013 about Daniel Bryan. He says he's the most technically proficient wrestler the WWE main event has seen 
possibly since Bret Hart, and he connects with the crowd, the whole crowd, sorry Mr. Cena, in a near euphoric way we haven't seen consistently since The Rock and his prime. Now that's pretty high, uh, pretty high praise. Yeah, I agree 100%. When I think about him and the whole Yes movement and you see every 20,000 person arena putting their hands in the air with him, it really does remind me of when The Rock could control the entire crowd and make him say words without saying a word. It was really crazy. All right, so so, so then after that, the next big moment, you had the uh, Occupy Raw moment. And this was after the Royal Rumble debacle that was by Bautista. So Daniel Bryan gets his match with uh, Triple H at WrestleMania. Winner of that match goes on to headline WrestleMania and now a triple threat match. And just... The emotions going into it, and, and I'm a very emotional guy. When I when I get an attachment to one of these guys, I I feel like I feel their pain, I feel their joy. So that that WrestleMania 30, and the crowd was absolutely brilliant. They were into that match 1,000 percent, which which is surprising because a lot of times when you see a match like a, a Taker or Brock, where such a heavy moment happens, where you know the Undertaker streak gets broken, you know the crowd usually is taken out of the the rest of the pay-per-view you've seen that countless times yeah but you know but he he had the crowd in the palm of his hand and when and when he's when he's pulling back on that yes lock on batista and you know you have michael cole screaming tap batista tap and then when batista finally taps and the crowd realizes what just happened it it go they go absolutely bonkers absolutely insane and i remember watching that live and when it happened and i just i jumped out of my seat and started you know cheering and and i realized everyone in my house was sleeping but i didn't care (laughs) i I ran into my bedroom to tell my wife who could care less about what was going on right but i just remember running in going he did it they gave they gave the title to daniel he did it as as if i know the guy you know so that, that's just what he did. He, he made you think that he made you feel like you knew him. He made you feel like you were you were a part of his you know family. And I think that's what I love most about Daniel Bryan. And I think that whole storyline that you just talked about right now is one of the greatest storylines ever. And it's I'm actually a little bit I feel a little shame because I didn't see the writing on the wall when Triple H turned on him at SummerSlam. You should have seen that he was going to get an eventual push right back to the top and they were going to do the against all odds, against the authority segment. I didn't see it at the time until it started to progress. And you, even though you say, you know, Bautista, they tried to push Bautista once again when he came back and they gave him the rumble and all these things, but that match would not have been the match it was if Bautista wasn't in it. It had to be a triple threat, I think, because you don't want to see him and Orton go one-on-one. You want to see, you need that extra X factor to get that match to what it was and to have Batista be the guy to tap out really put the cherry on top of the the great storyline the great match and one of the great moments not only in wrestling but of Wrestlemania as well and yeah I'm glad you brought that up that you didn't want to see you know the the Orton uh, Brian match because really you have seen that all through throughout the end of 2013 that's what you saw was Brian chasing Orton after Orton took the title from him and uh yeah, you know, Triple H started calling him a B-plus player, which apparently <coughs> apparently backstage Triple H wanted to push Brian, but Vince had told him, you know, go out and call him a B-plus player. We're going to try and push him down the, down the card. But, you know, wrestling fans, you know, we complain about them sometimes, but they, 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 when they have a common goal, they, they know how to get to it. But, you know, I think we... T- I think we talked plenty about uh, Daniel Bryan. I, I took up a lot of time. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you go ahead and you know bring up your one of your favorite wrestlers? I mean, you're you're having your ultimate Mark moment here. Did you change your name to Mark just to talk about this <laughs> this Daniel Bryan for 30 minutes? My God, I get it. He's your favorite dude, but yeah. Ah, he's so, not even my favorite of all time, Bubs. That's that's the crazy part. Oh my God! Then I guess we this is going to be a long show, folks. Go ahead and sit down. <laughs> but uh, all right. Daniel Bryan's done. We're moving on to mine, and I'm starting off heavy, and I'm swinging hard as well with, in my biased opinion, the greatest technical in-ring performer of all time, and his name is Kurt Angle. His name is Kurt fucking Angle. yes. And he is an Olympian. It's true. And it's really true that he's a gold medalist. And at first, looking back when I was, when Angle first came in, I didn't care about Angle. He was a heel. I was young. I hated the heels. 
I didn't I didn't care about him. I thought it was cool that he was a real Olympian. I learned that he was a real one. It wasn't part of kayfabe or anything, so that was kind of cool. But it took me a while to really appreciate him in the ring. And then once I started to care more about wrestling and pay attention to all the the in-ring tactics and skills needed, Kurt Angle really became my guy, whether he was face or heel or whatever he was trying to pull off. And I don't know how you feel about him, but I say he's the greatest technical wrestler in the ring of all time. No, you know, you are entitled to your opinion, however off-base oh. it might be. But on, honestly, though, Kurt Angle was definitely one of the best in-ring workers of all time. And, I, and I've said this before in a previous, uh, in our review of Backlash, he just, since day one, he got it. He, he was entertaining from day one. Uh, he acclimated to the ring style quickly from day one. And he, he was definitely a force to be reckoned with from the moment he stepped foot in that ring. Exactly. So and good pick, Bucks. Good pick. Yeah, I think it's a great pick because he has, and people say arguably the best first year of any guy, but I'd have to have someone defend, defend whoever else they're saying had the greatest first year of all time because he became WWE champion. He was univer- or universal. What year are we in? <laughs> <laughs> European champion. Yeah, I see champion at the same time. First guy to ever Hashtag do that. Hashtag bring back European championship. Yeah, where is the European title for Cesaro and Sheamus? But that's another. Right. We'll talk, we'll talk oh. that in booking. Um, okay. Leave, leave it alone. But the, another thing about Angle is he became one of the fastest rising stars and one of the, one of the greater champions in WWE history. But then he leaves and he goes to TNA. And he builds TNA to, although we trash it a lot, and I do a lot, I will admit it, but he made that into a legitimate second-tier brand of professional wrestling that was televised that you could watch and you could care about, even when they didn't have a whole lot of talent on that roster. You see, that, that that's where I'm going to disagree with you, is that his, as soon as he leaves WWE, that's where I kind of stop caring about Kurt Angle like you you can go off his WWE career alone and that's Hall of Fame worthy but you know he, he left in my opinion way too soon to go to what I feel is a supremely inferior uh, company like TNA and he, he just, because of that he's not going to get the credit that he deserves for being such an amazing technical wrestler that he is and such an entertainer because I just feel that you know TNA just I don't think that's where he should have. That's where he should have went. No, you're right. He could have done a lot more in the WWE, but I mean, he chose to leave. There was a lot of talent at the time. Maybe he felt like he wasn't going to keep being that top guy, and he needed to be that top guy. But you're right. I mean, th- no one can compete with mainstream wrestling. So you can't say TNA competes with WWE. You can't say Ring of Honor does it. You can't even say Japan does it. So for Kurt Angle to leave, I think it was he was just kind of kind of betting on himself to go out and do different things, or maybe he just wanted to change. But I mean, he's forgotten now, essentially, by by fans. Unless you somehow you know think of, I don't even know what makes random fans think about him now because he's gone because he's been out of TNA now for so long, and he's he's prepping for his comeback in next year. So I guess you're right. People do tend to forget about him because he's not around anymore. But when I, when I think of wrestlers, I like to I put their, their careers on a resume-type format, and I think of what have they accomplished. Well, Angle's a six-time WWE champion, right? He's a six-time TNA champion. He's got all these accomplishments in, to his name, but even bigger than that is he's performed at WrestleMania so many times. And that's where I think you and I really agree on is main event matches and high-caliber pay-per-views and main title matches like WrestleMania's to really establish a guy's career. Angle's done it. He's done it all. He he started off with Benoit and Jericho at WrestleMania 2000. He lost both his titles. That's a really good match. But um, Benoit, Kane, Brock Lesnar, Eddie Guerrero, Shawn Michaels, which I consider the greatest singles match of all time, WrestleMania 21, Rey Mysterio, Randy Orton. It won match of the year that year also. Right, and then there's a reason. And then he's had other great matches with yeah. with Brock Lesnar on SmackDown, that Iron Man match for the title. He's fought AJ Styles several times in TNA. I mean, I think the list goes on for him in high-profile high matches that really make him compete with anybody in professional wrestling. And, yeah, you're right. That uh, Brock Lesnar match and the Iron Man match, that was the 2003 match of the year. He was the uh, 2000 Rookie of the Year. He was the 2003 Wrestler of the Year. This is all Pro Wrestling Insider. He was uh, the number one ranked 
in the PWI 500 in 2001. So, you know, he's he's definitely he's given the credit that he deserves uh, because he he is that damn good, and it's true. You know, he's he, he he's got the accomplishments, like you said. If he, if you want to build a resume and you know leave off you know leave off like WWE TNA you know just put what he's accomplished all his championships all his uh, awards that he's won yeah he was an X division champ too also right. uh, you, you put his resume side by side with anyone else's you know you don't put the person's names you just look at the resumes it'd be hard pressed to pick someone other than him yeah and I'm not ever going to forget about him. I hope he does come back and does something of, of worth in WWE. I think he can still do a lot of things. But um, I chose him because simply his resume is the greatest that I've seen from Olympic gold medalist to all the championships to all the profile matches that, that he's faced off against. I mean, almost every one of those dudes that I named off is a Hall of Fame guy. And I think that I think it really stands alone. And uh, he's actually still wrestling. He's going around wrestling on the indie scenes. I believe you uh, you went to a indie show and he was there wrestling. He wasn't wrestling because he's only doing uh, down four, three or four uh, a year. Okay. So, but he was there doing a couple of appearances. He's only doing a couple to keep himself fresh because, like I said, he's preparing for a, a legit comeback sometime next year. So he wants to keep himself fresh. So he still has a lot to perform. I don't know if you watched the Cody Rhodes match that he did up in, I think it was Northeast Wrestling. I mean... That match was good. It could have been a lot better because Kurt was still recovering from his knee injury. But, I mean, you could tell that that guy can still work the ring with the best of them. He's 47 years old, and he is still going out there and performing at a high level. Legend. Yeah. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. I'm sorry. Go, Kurt Angle. Okay, that's, a, that's okay. Uh, all right, so uh, is it my turn again? Yeah, it's up. you better top that with somebody. I don't know what the hell you're going to do, but... Well, uh, in terms of accomplishments, uh, this next guy I'm going to bring up might might have a better resume in pure wrestling championships. And uh, this is a guy that, that, you know, he, he came up around the same time where I was really getting into it as, as like a preteen, teenager, you know, my prime years. Uh, and that was, that's Edge. The rated R superstar. Uh, so mo- so loved most him of those accomplishments that. are going to be uh, tag team titles. So uh, I understand well, you're trying to compare him to Kurt, but that's okay. That's okay. Go ahead. Listen, hey, let me go ahead and uh, th- give him, give you his resume real yeah, give, quick. Give me the resume you, real quick. All... Okay, uh, he's won 31 championships in WWE overall, which is right. the most decorated wrestler of all time in WWE. He's got 11 world championships. Which me, he's won the WWE Championship four times and the World Heavyweight Championship a record seven times. Uh, he was a five-time Intercontinental Champion. He won the U.S. title, and he won 14 World Tag Team Championships. 14. Uh, 14. He was the 14th Triple Crown winner and the seventh Grand Slam champion. And he also won the King of the Ring in 2001. He was the first Money in the Bank ladder match winner. He he won it a couple times. And he won the Royal Rumble in 2010, making him the first wrestler in history to achieve all three of those accomplishments, the King of the Ring, Money in the Bank, and Royal Rumble. So, yeah, how's that for a resume? Okay, I mean, that's uh, pretty solid. I mean, <laughs> half, of those, yes. half of those tag titles should be cut in half because he had a partner involved, but, I mean, that's whatever. Uh, I'll, still, I'll still let you have your moment here. Uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm excited to talk seven. about Edge. That's those seven championships. Okay. I'm excited to talk about Edge because I love his rise from the beginning to end, but I'll, I'll, I'll interject that after you get off your soapbox. Okay. Let, let me hop on the soapbox real quick. Uh, Edge came in. He was part of the uh, – well, he, he was a singles guy to start off. Uh, he didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, his first televised match was against a Jose Estrada Jr., where he, uh, he actually injured – his neck doing a uh, somersault senton from the ring, but uh, he didn't really do much as a singles guy. And then they brought him into the Brood, which you know started his uh, his teamwork with Christian, uh, which was his storyline brother, 
Uh, luckily, they changed that later on. Because uh, I, I, I hate in wrestling how people are, are brothers when you know they aren't when, in real life. I just when they're when they're literally can't not get behind. Like, yeah, the, the Undertaker just, and Kane. I never bought it, even when Kane debuted. I was like, no, he's not. There's no way. Oh, I bought. Oh, are you kidding me? I bought the shit out of that. I was a uh, I was a kid. I Paul bought the Bear shit. Out. Couldn't, Paul Bearer couldn't get that over on me. I was wise. <laughs> you couldn't get me to believe that Paul Bearer were their dad. Like that. That's where I. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the stature. Yes. All right. Anyway, so. Him and Christian are part of the brood with Gangrel. They also join the Ministry of Darkness, but then they become, you know, they break off from Gangrel, which the brood was supposed to put Gangrel over, but then they saw, they, they got Edge and Christian out there, and they realized, no, these are the two guys we need to push. And a push they did. They had some of the, the best tag team matches. And we're talking, you know, just regular tag team matches. They had some of the best, but what really put these two guys over the top in the tag team division were those uh, triangle ladder matches and TLC matches that they had with the Hardys and the Dudleys. And honestly, you can't talk about Edge and Christian without talking about the Dudleys and the Hardys. Uh, they, they go hand-in-hand hand during that time because, really, those three teams were they were the tag team division. And we talk about how great the tag team division was back then, but honestly, it was just those three teams, and they were so good that you forget that there wasn't a whole lot behind them. Yeah, I, I mean, the tag team division back then was the best I think it's ever been. I will argue you a bit by saying that the Acolytes deserve a little bit of credit for being in that great tag team era. But as far as match work, those three stand alone in the triangle ladder matches, specifically WrestleMania, because, I mean, that, that ended up great. We all wanted that to go down the way it did. And uh, yeah. you, also hit, you also hit a great point that I'm glad you said was Gangrel was supposed to get a legitimate push during the brood time. He was supposed to be an upper mid-card guy that they wanted to put maybe the IC title around and see where he could go from from there. And it wouldn't have worked out because you see him later in, down the years. He was never that great in the ring. So it's a good thing Edge and Christian were there to, to stop that push because God knows what could have happened with that IC title. Yeah, so Edge and Christian, they go on to win countless tag team titles. And then Edge breaks off, uh, becomes... A pretty, they, they give him a pretty solid push as a singles guy right away. Uh, he wins King of the Ring in 2001. He goes on to win the Intercontinental Championship that year. Uh, he he won the WCW United States Championship from Kurt Angle, your boy. Mm-hmm. And then he, he ended up unifying that into just the IC title. But uh, one, one of the feuds that I remember most with uh, Edge at this time was his feud with Kurt Angle, where uh, it was a hair versus hair match. That's right. And, uh, There's a reason Kurt was yeah. going bald. <laughs> yes. Working into and a storyline. So that was great. But but when he really hit his peak was when he became, you know, you had the whole thing with Edge where, you know, Edge gets hurt. I mean, the whole thing with Matt Hardy. Matt gets hurt. Uh... He, he's away, so Lita starts traveling with Edge. Edge and Lita hook up. Real life drama. And then that, yeah. So that leads to him becoming the rated R superstar, and that was really his. Uh, that that's that's how he rejuvenated his singles career. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bring my wordage down a little bit. Uh, renaissance. His career renaissance. God damn. It. There Come it on, is. man. That you can do this. His career renaissance. I agree with you. <laughs> Yeah, and it led to really that's what led to his eleven world championship reigns because he was such a he he, he was the ultimate heel. He would win by he would win sneakily. Uh, his uh, the storyline with him and Vicky Guerrero was probably one of the because that was one of the best pairings ever. Who knew that would work as well as it did? Exactly, I hated it, but then I loved it in the end. Yes, uh, he was. He was, uh, in 2001, he was uh, given the most improved wrestler of the year, uh, most hated wrestler of the year in 2006 at the height of his, uh, when he really started the Rated R Superstar Great. Uh, persona. Uh, that year, he won, he won Feud of the Year back-to-back years, uh, one with Matt Hardy in 05, and then in 06 with John Cena when those two were trading the title back and forth right. between each other. Uh, he really took John Cena to a new level uh, that year, 
and and that that's to me one of his best rivals is John Cena, and uh, he also had great rivalries with uh, Batista over the World Championship and, and the Undertaker. Undertaker, yes, and he ha- he had some of the best matches with the Undertaker to include their WrestleMania match that they had was phenomenal. Where uh, he tapped out, where right? he, he he dropped his title. Yeah, he tapped out to Hell's Gate. Yeah. But uh, it was just such a great match. That's really the story of Edge is that he could take anybody and work a great program with them. I agree. When I think of him, I think his career, I take that as the blueprint of how every young wrestler could go from the bottom of the card to the very top. Because like you said, he started off as a singles guy. He was not ready for it. He wasn't good. Some of those early matches are hard to watch. But yes. when, they, when they paired him with a group to you know take a little bit of the pressure off to hide his weaknesses a little bit until he got better at him, and then putting him with Christian as a, a true tag team, that's when he really started to flourish. And then you break away from the tag team after some success, and you run the mid card. So he had a lot of success with the mid card, and then, like you said, they gave him the king of the ring. So they really they gave him every little piece that he needed to be successful, and he was great with it. And then he gets himself to the championship level, and then he come he turns out to be one of the best heels ever, I think. And he goes on to feud with some of the best ever and win multiple championships. And I think that is the blueprint of how a young wrestler should work. It's from going from a singles guy. If you can't do it, you work as a tag team guy. You work yourself up from that. You run through the mid card until you're ready to work with the big guys. And he did it perfectly. Absolutely. And it, it they didn't have to push him right away into the main event scene. You know, it took five, six years to get to that main event scene as a singles wrestler. And like you said, he, he was built perfectly. But as a, a recurring theme with my uh, top favorite wrestlers, uh, he did have to retire early. Uh, had his WrestleMania match with Alberto Del Rio at 27, I believe it was, uh, which is one of the worst WrestleManias of all time. Wasn't good. Uh, no, it was terrible. When, when The Miz is headlining. The Miz ran the show. Yeah. And, and wins and beats you. Anyway, that, we'll talk about that another time. Uh, but yeah, he, he had to retire shortly after, relinquish the title. And then, once again, an emotional retirement speech. You didn't see it coming, and it, it really it, it left me hurting. Yeah, I hated to see it. Like, it, like I said, it, it wasn't expected. It should have never happened. We wish that he could take back some of those shots to the neck and the back and the head that he took over the years, and maybe he'd still be able to work in the ring. But, uh, man, you are setting up a, a theme of emotional downfall here. This sucks. Yeah, well, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and hop off my soapbox, and uh, hopefully you can uh, pick up the pick up the spirits here a little bit. Well, that's good because you end on a sad note. I end. I bring up from the sad note the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. The Rock was at the peak when I needed him to be at the peak in my young childhood, because I was so impressionable. My mind was a sponge, so I drank in everything The Rock had to say. I literally did. And he had a lot to say. And he had a lot of stuff to say, and I would say, and the millions, I'd say it at home sitting on the couch like, a, like an asshat. I'd say it. But he is, he is okay, quite right literally, there, he's the most charismatic. I think he is the best ever on the mic. That's, that's another strong statement that I'm making. I think he's the best ever. I mean, I he doesn't have, I won't disagree with him. He, he was the best of all time, I think, on the mic, and still is. He could still do it, exactly. He just has that naturally, and he became an actor, obviously, with great success now. We see that, and it's really sad that he left wrestling. I still can't get over that, even though it's been so long. The Rock doesn't have you know, the strongest resume to, to keep up with some, some of these other guys, but he's put on great matches. Obviously, his feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin and them doing three separate WrestleManias, I think, stands pretty high no one else has done that but the biggest gripe i have with vince in this fucking case is that the rock has never been given the opportunity to win the title or any title at wrestlemania oh that i hate that that oh that pisses me off everybody else that you can think of that's that's a top guy for the most part i mean there's a couple exceptions obviously but everyone's had that chance to win even the ic title but uh, The Rock has dropped it. I think he's dropped it on three separate times because he dropped it to Cena. The Miz. And, he's, and he dropped it to Austin twice. So that, that, that pisses me off. But, uh, I mean, he's, he's a Royal, royal Rumble winner. He was the sixth Triple Crown. 
he's had some great matches, obviously. We talked about the Triple H ladder match from SummerSlam when they were feuding over the IC title. We both loved that one. His, uh, his feud with Mick Foley, halftime of the Super Bowl, and the I Quit match. That's a hard match to watch. If you don't like chair shots to the head, don't watch that. But And he, he's really gone through a lot of persona changes, too, which I think kind of speaks to his character and ability to, ability to play both face and heel, even though I hated him as a heel. Hollywood Rock sucked. I hated him at that point, which was good. But, I, I mean, even now, I don't even like the character. You, you 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 hated the character like that that's what made him so good is that as a heel you, you didn't hate him because you thought he was a terrible heel you hated him because he was such a good heel he made you want to hate him i didn't like the character i didn't like him at the time at all i hated him he's supposed to be a face <laughs> he's a hurricane got a win off of him the hurricane that time. that's right they were that was a feud the rock is 10 times better as a face than he was a heel but let me get off that I mean, yeah. he, start, Go on. He, he went through his Rocky Maivia stage, which started the Rocky Suck chant, which lasted a long time. Great chant, by the way. Then the he went Die, Rocky, Die chant. Die, Rocky, Die was there, too. Not on PG, though. Can't talk about that. No, you can't say yeah. Die, the, <clears throat> the Nation of Domination, which he became the leader of after he had a little feud with Farouk. Then he became Corporate Rock after the double turn at Summer... Or no, that was at Survivor Series. People's Champion Rock, you got Hollywood Rock. He's done he's done a lot of things, and you really can't hold a guy down. So he had to take off and and go do bigger and better things because he had the ability to do it. But he'll always be my favorite performer to listen to and to watch and to get the most excited about in the ring. Right now, let let me run down some of his uh, some of his accomplishments, some of the uh, accolades that he was given. Uh, he won match of the year uh, from Pro Wrestling Insider twice uh, in 99 with Mankind in that I Quit match. Yeah. And in 2002 with Hollywood Hogan at WrestleMania 18, the match that essentially whoever came on after that was ruined. It was. Because that was such a... The yeah. crowd was so high for uh, that he, match and nothing else. Oh, absolutely. He won Wrestle of the Year in 2000. He was ranked number, tw- number two on the PWI 500 in 2000 also. 2000 was a huge year for The Rock. That was the year of The Rock, I year would of the say. Rock. Yeah. Uh, in Wrestling Observer, he won uh, Most Charismatic 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002, <laughs> 2011, and 2012. There you go. Like, yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's very... His resume is quite strong, even though... You have to think, he's only 44 now, and he, he stopped wrestling long time, about, what, 12 years ago, in the yeah. prime of his career. Just think of what he would have accomplished if he hadn't gone to Hollywood. He would have gotten those WrestleMania matches that you know we complained that he didn't get. He would have had those opportunities, but like you said, you can't hold him down. He's the world's biggest box office draw yeah. of, really, that we've ever had. He's... He's just he's just the best. And it's crazy to think that we, we call The Rock, you know, that he could have been the greatest could-have-been story. But, I mean, he already has a great resume to go along with it. And you're right. What could have happened? Because he, he missed WrestleMania 21 through 27, I think. He hosted 27. He wasn't in the ring for that. so. And then he came back out for 30 and 31 for promo work in the ring. And then we finally saw him at 32, but that was a six-second match. So... I mean, God, can you imagine? We, we would have gotten Triple H and him one-on-one like we would have wanted. I would have hoped by then The Rock would have gotten his championship title opportunity at a WrestleMania. And, yeah, the, the resume would be twice as long. So I'm very bitter about The Rock, but he's still my favorite. I, I know you are, but he's still accomplished so much his time. Yeah. Uh, now I'm all depressed. Go ahead. Oh, come on. That was supposed to be an upper. Well, it was but, uh, until he's gone. I know, but I, I think this one might might help you out there a bit, Bubs. Uh, and my this is this is my all-time favorite guy. He, he's number one on my list, and will always be number one on my list. And that is the showstopper, the main event, uh. the icon, Mister WrestleMania, Shawn Michaels, or as Mrs. Higginbottom calls him. Michael Sean Hickenbottom. <laughs> Hickenbottom. Now, Sean Michael sounds better. Yeah, it sounds way better. I'm glad he went with that. 
But uh, yeah, he's a pretty, guy, he's pretty good. He ended up doing a couple good matches, didn't he? Maybe one or two. Yeah, he he had a couple uh, a couple accolades to his name. Let's okay. just uh, run those down real quick. Let me let me get his uh, WrestleMania. I mean, whoa, his WrestleMania. We'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> All right. So yeah, Shawn Michaels. He's a four-time world champion. He won the WWF World Heavyweight Championship three times. Uh, came back from his injury and won the uh, World Heavyweight Championship. He's a two-time Royal Rumble winner, where he was the first one to win coming in at number one. Uh, and he was the first one to do that for a while. I think uh, Chris Benoit was the next person to do that. That's right. Uh, but he won it two years in a row, uh, which led to you know one of the best technical WrestleMania matches you know, or what's considered one of the best technical WrestleMania matches of all time, which was the 60-minute Iron Man match between him and Bret Hart. And uh, you, you can't talk Shawn Michaels in his heyday in the, in the mid-'90s without talking about Bret Hart. I, really, I, I skip over his tag team time when he was with the Rockers. I, I wasn't really watching at that time. I wasn't really old enough to know what was going on at that time. Yeah. In fact half of that or most of that I wasn't even born yet so I really don't pay much attention to that where where I really started following him was in in 95 96 when he had you know he he brought diesel in uh, you had the click Shawn Michael and Bret Hart were running the uh, main event scene in the mid 90s and their matches were you know physical very technical and the you you learn later on why their matches seemed to be so physical was because you know they legitimately had heat backstage with each other and that led to some you know a lot of tension backstage but also led to some fantastic television during that time in their feud together oh yeah they easily have uh, one of the best feuds ever i think and they're in ring work they're two of the best so put them together in the ring they're great separately but put them together man magic happens yeah, and uh, one of the matches you like to uh, go back to is their Survivor Series match, uh, which, you know, Survivor Series 97, the Montreal screwed job. Can't talk Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart without bringing that up. Great segment. Great storyline by Vince. Had to do it. Yeah, he, he had to. And that's something we'll get to at a, at a later time, but uh, you, you definitely had to do it. So that, that was another time where he... You know, won the title, and then he went on to uh, feud with the Undertaker uh, over the title. Uh, had had the first ever Hell in a Cell match with Undertaker, where uh, Kane debuted, mm-hmm. and Vince had the great line, "You know, that's gotta be Kane. That's gotta be." <laughs> Back when Vince was on him. commentary, I liked Vince on commentary. I'm, get, I, I'm getting him over. Watch me. <laughs> anyway, so. He feuds with feuds with Taker, leads to their uh, uh, casket match in '98 at the Royal Rumble, which uh, he he goes flying over the top rope. Taker sends him over, hits his back on the casket, breaks it, and then he goes on to WrestleMania, has uh, drops the title to Stone Cold, and you get his first retirement, which you think that that that's his final retirement. And and honestly, if he would have if he would have left after that, he had a pretty solid resume already. But it was his it was his second run in the company that I think is the one that should be talked about the most because his his run after after returning from his back injury in 2002 is one of the best runs of all time by any wrestler. Yeah, I definitely think Sean's career is divided into two pieces. The first part is definitely somewhat forgettable with his tag team wrestling. Even looking back on it now, I, I don't have a much of an appreciation for it. It might have been the time, too, because I didn't care a lot of the wrestling that happened back then. And he did become the main guy. He was the, the top guy, him and Brett, and even The Undertaker were, were the main guys in that mid-'90s to late-'90s run. But uh, hands down, his second part of his career after after his hiatus is it's great. Yeah, it's one of those rare instances. He was out for four years, and he comes back as good, if not better, than he was before. And it was during this time that he put on 
his best matches. You know, he, he had his one uh, championship run, uh, which, you know, he, he mentions it. He mentions it in one of his books how that was his decision to not win more singles titles because he didn't want to deal with the, you know, all the media obligations. He wanted to spend more time with his family, and I could definitely respect that. I don't think it takes away from his resume that he uh, didn't hold uh, any singles titles when he came back, other than that one championship reign. But you want to talk about someone who put on some of the best matches. Let, let me run this down from Pro Wrestling Insider. He had the match of the year in 93, 94, 95, 96, and then 2004 through 2008. Actually, from 2004 through 2010, he had the match of the year every single year. And we're talking about his match with, matches with Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 21, even his match with Vince McMahon in a no-hold bar at WrestleMania 22. He made a he made a top-level match with Vince McMahon. A match of the year with Vince McMahon. Let 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 that sink in for a bit. Yeah, I think it says a lot. He does. He definitely does not have the championships to to hold up to some of these other guys. But just watching him in the ring. He is one of those special people that you can watch against anybody. Like he's on, he's on that Kurt Angle level for me, that Ric Flair level for a lot of other people. Who they say you could put Rick in a in a ring with a broomstick and he'd give you a what is it a three star match at the minimum. So he's one of those guys. Yeah. And he did it. He did it year in and year out, especially in his second run where the, his feuds were great. Storyline was really good for him, and most of those matches are great. Yeah, absolutely, and. Uh... Probably his best matches, and this is uh, definitely biased for me, but to me the best WrestleMania matches of all time, there's two of them. There was his match in 09 with The Undertaker at 25, and then his career versus streak match with Undertaker at 26. In my opinion, those are two, two quintessential WrestleMania matches, and there's no topping those two matches in... Uh, in a technical standpoint, a story storytelling standpoint, and you know, I know you like to talk about uh, the match where uh, at the uh, Jr's call in that match. I'll let you go ahead and talk about it because that's one of your favorite calls of all time. Yeah, not only is that match my second favorite of all time, it's easily one of the greatest matches of all time. You can't argue that. But uh, that match did everything. The match could have ended after the Undertaker hit the first tombstone. Because in most matches, you have you know a certain amount of spots. You have it, it has to be long enough. You have to do so many moves, and that's that's really it. And this match did that. And then the Undertaker hits his tombstone, and I mean, I was like, okay, that's good enough right there. It's a good match. And he goes for the pin, but Shawn Michaels kicks out, and it erupts the crowd. And Jr. gives us one of his great Jr. lines of he just had an out of body experience. Yeah, with, uh, there's been a recurring theme with my favorite wrestlers, and that's emotional retirement speeches, especially retiring way too soon, uh, leave, leaving a lot of years on the table. But with HBK, that's really not the case because he gave us some fantastic years. Uh, he, he got to go out on his own terms, which I think is one of the, one of the few things wrestlers can do or wrestlers actually do is go out when they're supposed to and go out on their own terms and just thankfully he was able to do that. Absolutely, I'm glad it wasn't something that forced him to, like a, a legit injury that forced him to go out when he didn't want to. He got to go out and he went out performing an amazing match that's gonna go down in history as one of the best. And there's really no better way to go out. Ric Flair got the same treatment, so it's really, you gotta give it to those top guys well, like that. Ric Flair, yeah, he went out in WWE that way, but then he tried to go and wrestle some oh, yeah. terrible matches at TNA. You decided to ruin what I said by bringing up TNA because that was an atrocity and a, a, another mole on his Sorry. career. But, uh, man, he did. God, he ruined that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that that's all that I have for uh, HBK. Uh, who do you have coming up as your top wrestler? Well, he's not my top wrestler, but I decided to tie him okay. in here at the end with, you know, equally to go along with yours because I saw this one coming. So... I am going to do yeah. the under, I'm doing the Undertaker. And there's a lot of reasons I'm doing the Undertaker. Mostly number 1 is the respect I have for the guy for doing it for so damn long. Longevity 
for The Undertaker. And thank God he's never gotten any you know serious injuries. He's left for a couple minor ones, but he's been very lucky. He hasn't gotten any of the well any of your dudes. Like he hasn't had to to leave wrestling, you know. And he's gone through several gimmicks through his career, but all in all, he's been t somewhat the same type of character, aside from the American badass, big evil version of him. And his WrestleMania streak, though it should have never ended, I think is the greatest streak of all time. Most of those matches aren't very good. Some of them are, there's some squashes in there. There's some, some bad matchups with guys that weren't good, like Sid Vicious. Giant Gonzalez. Giant Gonzalez, things like that. But he ends up doing a couple great ones with HBK, his one with Edge. He gets Batista. Um, the CM Punk one wasn't bad. And then you get ones like with Shane McMahon where there's you know some good spots and things like that that tell a good story. So he's the ultimate workhorse of professional wrestling. And I, I mean, there's so many things that I want to say about him, but in general, him winning, him winning WrestleMania him winning the Royal Rumble, he's an eight-time champion to include a USWA World Heavyweight Champion back in the day. That one, that one might count for something. But I think uh, when I just think of him, I, yeah. I think of him as I think of him as the workhorse. He became the leader in the locker room, which a lot of guys said they always looked up to him, and he became a bit of the boss or the go-to in the back to ask for advice and to keep the locker room in check. So there's a lot of things we could say about him. Yeah, he was definitely someone that I'm glad you've chose him because he should be on most everyone's you know top wrestlers list. But he was definitely the first wrestler that I that I ever imitated. You know, I I had these uh, purple gloves that I would wear around, acting like I was the Undertaker, trying to find I would find anything to choke slam. Oh, oh, there's a dog. Might as well choke slam that. <laughs> yeah, I was choke slamming everything in sight, and I, I loved the Undertaker too. He was very influential. Yeah, and even though his his later WrestleManias have just become more of a show for the spectacle of him showing up kind of once a year, I still think they're worth something. He's only missed two WrestleManias since WrestleMania 7. That was number 10 and 16 because he was injured for those, but he came back relatively quick. Uh, his gimmick change, although I don't know why it gets so much flack, the American Badass is one of my favorite gimmicks ever, and he was a great heel with it too. I loved it. Yeah, I absolutely loved that gimmick. But wrestle, I mean, mainstream WWE will say, oh, that never happened. I don't know what you're talking about. But um, I'm not going to get into the streak here. I'm going to leave uh, Brock Lesnar breaking the streak. I'm going to leave that for another segment because I have some a long-winded conversation to have with myself about that. So I'm sure you do. Yeah, all in all, I think he's also the greatest gimmick ever ever because it's lasted for so, so long and it's worked so so well. And, I mean, I just love the dude. Yeah, and he's uh, and you're definitely not the only one that's loved him. PW, PWI has given him uh, match of the year in '98 with his um, Hell in a Cell versus Mankind, which is one of the most, one of the most influential, one of the most uh, awe-inspiring, one of the most There's just so many talked words about for that match. match. Yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah, talk, that, we'll talk just, about that match soon. Yeah sends McFoley over the so many JR uh, let's just in fact let's just do a show about JR one day and that match will be on there for sure topic show and JR. then yeah his two matches with uh, Shawn Michaels at Wrestlemania and then in 2012 his Hell in a Cell with Triple H which also involved uh, Shawn Michaels so he's he's been in some amazing matches he's really I think he's the one cons like I don't think anyone's been as consistent as he is for as long as he was. I think that's the main thing, the main takeaway with uh, with The Undertaker is that he was so consistent for so long at a high level. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with, like I said, not getting injured seriously. And he said several times, and other people have said that, you know, he's not the guy that's out there looking for glory. He only has eight world titles since 1990. The guy should have over 20, right? Like he should be above Ric Flair at this point, but yeah. but he doesn't want him. He's out there just putting on good matches and trying to get people over, and and now he's just a, a one-time-a-year type guy, probably for the last time this upcoming year. So, I mean, so many things you can say about him. But I'm overall, I'm really glad we did this because I, I like our list. I like the top six that we actually have here. And this, this worked out Yeah, if we well. went further than six, that would have just... We already took up a lot of time talking about six, but 
you know, these six are six of the best to ever lace up their boots. Yeah, so the, these six were definitely the best to ever lace up their boots, and uh, I definitely had a great time researching these guys and getting to watch some of their old matches again and just getting to, you know, see see them at their prime one more time. Yeah, and we're gonna, we should get a lot of flack for people that are saying that disagreeing that is that these are the top six because we've left off a lot of people on here that could be on here like flair and triple h and stone cold so there's a lot of there's a lot of a room to argue here but these are the most influential guys that we loved and uh that kind of came up with us when we were growing up and why we watched wrestling yeah and uh you know th this is definitely a personal you know our personal opinions you know and that that's the great thing about wrestling is that so many people have their favorites and have, have the people that they love and they followed and n no two people are going to agree on the same group as their favorites of all time so i'm glad we have this discussion and you know if, if you like this discussion go ahead and uh, like and share the video and also comment in the uh, comment section let us know you know who your favorite wrestlers are give us your top three or top five or you know top however many you want to talk about uh let us know what you think about our uh, favorite wrestlers and as always we do this for the love of wrestling and together we can make wrestling great again